The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. Who you are, and then this context in which you are. And remembering that there are things that you uh, cannot change, and there are things that you must get to know uh, need to be changed. So... That's one of the areas that Puss begins to speak to about uh, people that are going to go cross-cultural is that you must understand your own culture. The second thing is uh, remembering that everyone has a culture. Now, do you think we would get a response here with, would everyone please next week in, on campus bring a cultural dish um, to... to uh, uh, the chapel or someplace. Uh, well, what, uh, what, you know, I mean, what would some folks do with that? What do you think someone would say? Hypothetically, what would they say? I don't know what to bring. Yeah. I don't know what my culture is. Is there anyone like that here? <laughs> well, I think, um, I mean, I, this is a problem of in a marriage, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm primarily Swedish American, but on, on the other side of things, I kind of, you know, joke around and say, I mean, there's 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 parts of my heritage that I'll never know, you know. Um, sure. <laughs> I mean, and and so I think it's sometimes confusing for some people, you know, sure. what you say mm-hmm. your heritage is. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Let's look at this for a moment, what happens in New York City, because you're, you're Irish-American, and um, you're living in a community that's, uh, most of the folks come from the county of Mayo in, in Ireland, and, um, uh, it's, it's in the 30s and so forth, you're a longshoreman, you work down the docks on 9th Avenue, now you're a second generation Irish, begin to uh, complete high school, go on further, third generation, there's a movement. And you start moving out of this community, you're not living by down on 9th Avenue anymore on 23rd Street. You're moving, uh, let's say, uptown a little bit towards where Germantown is, around 80-something. But it's, it's also, not all, it's a socioeconomic movement. You move again and you, you find the third generation, they're out here someplace, now living around... Uh, 86th Street, it's more affluent and so forth. As the social scale comes up, you ask them, what is your background? Uh, we're American. Uh, we don't know what we are. Uh, there's a sense where only the communities in which the Irish, Hispanic, Black, as they stay in this setting, here, they get, uh, there's a great deal of reinforcement and identity who they are. The moment they start moving up the scale, they begin to find themselves losing their culture. Is that economics, though, or is that yeah. your marriage? No, primarily economics. It's interesting because they marry from here many of the times. They marry right from this context, and they move. And as they're moving out, so you'll find that in a middle class very high, uh, or a community 
that's um, that's been uh, really changed in New York City, where you have much more of the yuppie community kind of moving in, that you'll find that uh, they don't they don't have any identity with that. They can more talk about their vocation, what they do, what they earn, their future aspirations, but they can't talk about their culture at all. But here they could, and they move up, they lose it. That's not a culture. The what? Yuppie culture? Sure it is. But it, I think there's another there's another word for that that I disagree with a lot of folks on campus here about the usage of that word as culture. And I've talked to Judy Good at Temple about like homosexuals, so they don't consider that culture nor subculture. Okay, there and there's other terms and I could bring that to you. I will bring that to you in class. Because that's considered it's very dangerous to do that, to consider them subculture. It's not subculture, nor is it culture. And so I think, even though they have an ethos, that there's a definite identity there. But here they lose it, all of a sudden they don't know, we're white. They go back into a race. But no one say, I think that's going to be, I enjoy when there is a discovery of who you are, and you can trace back some things, you can enjoy some of the things that uh, were not planned by you, but by God. I think it's very crucial that you, that everyone has a culture. Now, the only problem I find is that Culture is changing, and uh, that's the only thing the class doesn't bring out in this matter, that everyone has a culture, but culture is changing, and so that I can't identify very much with my parents and everything, uh, but they would like me to. But I can't because I don't come out of that milieu, I don't come out of the island like they did. And, uh, and my father, even after, what is it, 60 years here in the United States, doesn't speak English very well. He speaks to me in Spanish still. So he hasn't assimilated very well. Still uses his original language. Would you say that, that, that as they move out, they use their heritage? You know, do you use the word heritage in, in, in culture interchangeably? Not interchangeably, but I think it's a piece of it. Yeah. Well, can it be, I mean, generation, I mean, the first generation is usually they have a very close link to. They're losing it. Uh, there is a gain of another piece to it. So you're gaining, you're, you're becoming more of uh, what's in your community, in your work life, and so forth. You're learning other things. But you come home and you still have, or you come into your community, which is very homogeneous yet. And you still have that kind of. And I love that. I mean, I just, uh, I think I, I still enjoy immensely the Hispanic community. Um, and we, we feel we're, we're encouraged when we're in the Hispanic community. We feel isolated when we're not. You give them back to the part of real city that you... Um, I'm trying to get the, the, maybe some of you can help me with it because I've been okay. thinking of things. I'm thinking of, uh, is there a measure that you go back to the, the place in New York? That you were grown up, you feel that it's so, so close to you, you bring back your memories, you enjoy going mm -hmm. back. But how about your children? You bring them along. Let's do the same thing as you can. Yes, I, I do that, by the way. I've done that with all of them. I even brought them back to meet their huh. Roman Catholicism. You have godparents and, uh, and so forth. And uh, and I brought Joe, my oldest son, to, to visit with his godparents in Queens. They're not Christians, they're only Catholic. And, uh, and to meet some of the friends, we spent time, all of them 
really begin to want to ask a million questions, even though my kids are uh, late 20s now. They all want to know what was going on, what was happening here. They're very proud of who they are, yet they, they would, they would uh, the language is a problem for them. They regret that they haven't been able to know the language very well. They regret it today. It's great to have more than less. They like to be trilingual if they could. You know, uh, my daughter is going to be an attorney. She works for the public defender's office, and the best thing for her is to be able to work, to talk two or three languages. Yeah. Uh, and so she regrets that she wasn't because of the idea of this change occurred. But I try to teach my children that uh, uh, that who they are is very important. And they're very proud of being Puerto Ricans and Spanish. See, so you teach them the history. But they regret because language is so important to culture, it's the way you transmit your culture to others that they regret that they don't have a, a great handle. Now their babies are coming up and we're grandparents and they, they know that their children are not going to get the language or anything. It's a psychological and it's depressing. I don't know how because we feel responsible, they're going to feel equally responsible when, when my daughter's daughter says to her, listen, Mom, why didn't you teach me how to be very fluent in Spanish? So sometimes they think of going to Latin America, where they will learn it again. I mean, she understands it, she can speak it, but she doesn't feel very confident with it. So these, are, these are very, very interesting things. I, I feel that's why one of the things in our church was to teach others that were from Poland and other countries Teach us your culture. Because when they were able to understand who they were and their culture and they had freedom to teach us, they were free, they allowed us to be free in our culture. They didn't think we were ethnocentristic when we began saying how wonderful it is to speak and found, how wonderful it is to eat rice and beans and chicken and so forth. They were able to talk about their diet and their food and their songs and their words. And we let them read the Bible in Polish. Because it was so important. After they became uh, more aware of who they were. There's a divine dimension to diversity. And uh, I think we should be enriched by that. You see, it's not just something that's human, it is a divine purpose for this diversity. But there's also one other problem, especially for the second generation. Mm. Um, we call them the marginal people. I find it very difficult for them to identify either with the parents or with the second generation. Especially I see the American-born Chinese. They have the real difficulty now. They refuse to be attached with the parental culture. And um, they are marginal people and then they, 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 don't, they don't feel they are being, they could identify with the pure Americans or the national Americans. Yeah, they're in the middle. They're in the middle. That happens to and how are you going to, how are you, you let them let them choose, or how you educate them? No, you, uh, you 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 uh, tie them up and you take them wherever you go and you insist that. No, I mean, you you basically they you lose them in your church. They go to the Anglo church. They will end up in some white charismatic church because they're that's what will happen. They're in between this ethnic church and they're in between. Uh, who they really are, and they don't know, no one will listen to where they're coming from. I think there's a great excitement in the second generation church. I think it's different. I, I wish we could cultivate that and bring them into the the parents' church, but very difficult. I, I, I'm working with the Korean second generation youth group. When I work with them, I feel myself 
the missionary. <laughs> 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 now I'm learning their culture, their nano. Yes, their language. <laughs> if I cannot identify myself with them, I cannot work with them. Let me give another point to this. Besides, everyone has a culture. Um, is the third one that no one can divorce him or herself from their own culture. No one can divorce themselves. Now that has great implications from from his or her own culture. In some ways, uh, Lloyd Cross is saying that no one can rise above your own culture and gain a supercultural perspective. You can't go beyond your culture. So that means in some ways that you have not divorced yourself from your culture, although you have no identity with it. Some of you. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any significance. I would assure you that if you begin understanding more of it, it may have great significance to you in who you are as a person and your own development especially in this kind of a setting in the United States where it's so, well, throughout the world, really, where the world is coming to our doorsteps, it's coming in, it's already in the living room. I think it's a wonderful opportunity for us to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say there's um, such thing as an American culture? Sure. I mean... I don't know. I mean, I'm struggling this, with this because I don't know how you would define an American culture. If you go somewhere else, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, that's the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the... Yeah. Well, that's the... Well, clearly they will tell you. Does that mean, like, well, once you're about fourth or fifth generation, you're part of the American culture now, or, you know, is an American culture well... How do you define it? Well, I was just going to say, you would need to define that because uh, basically you are always thinking about uh, the matter that there are two or three cultures involved in that. That you've, uh, you, you've gone through enculturation and you've got the, uh, if we were to talk about the middle class structure, which is primarily the one we were talking about when we talk about American culture, um, would be that. You would be talking about the middle class structure of society in America today, primarily. But it's a mixture as well, because it would have uh, the Italian-American, it would have uh, that mixture of uh, marriage and all the rest of it. So there is that pluralism that comes by when we define, but we're really dealing with an economic structure now when we talk about the American structure and culture. And uh, all that it, uh, you know, the, the pie and the baseball and all the rest that we kind of say, this is what our value system is. That's changed radically. And so we, we get away from it, from doing that. And I think here in this country it's interesting because we, we nearly, that's why we say Mexican-American, Italian-American, you know, we use those terms. I don't know if the Korean-American has come yet or the Chinese-American has come, whether we still reject those kinds of ideas. <laughs> but, what do you do with, you know, Irish, English, Swedish, African, Indian. Oh, that's you know. great if you can recite it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, what does that do to your kids? Or, you know, I mean, how do you pass culture on to that? Yeah, I... <laughs> I think we're getting to the place of saying, well, listen, we can't possibly do that, Manny. We can't get back to understanding who we are in our culture. We, 
you know, we're saying it's, this is how great, how broad this is, and I, I'm afraid we're probably trying to get out of it in some way. I think we, I encourage you to really learn more. It's just like uh, the one, the family that works with me, Baker family, and she's German, basically in English, and that's also spread out, you know. But as she began learning about her German heritage, how important it was. To who she was, and we encouraged. What is it that you enjoy? Why? We found that they were, eating, you know, parents and so forth do things that are very much into the culture. Um, but she didn't realize that that was just the American dish. But it wasn't. You see, it was very much cultural. And she began asking questions and wanted pictures and wanted a dress wear that her mother would use at different things when she was young. Uh, a new discovery. It's your own roots. Book. Um. My grandmother used to come spend a couple of weeks with us every summer. I remember every summer I would always spend hours with her saying, tell me stories about when you were young. Tell me stories about my dad. Tell me. And those stories are very, I think were very significant to me because it was my, like my most clear way to link with past stuff. I and mean, she's not alive anymore, but I still have stories that she told me. Because she would tell me, I mean, from summer to summer, I heard the same ones over, but mm. I began to learn them then. Mm. And that was very important, I think, linked to my heritage. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the things that I feel we were intention here, even in this, uh, with, with uh, our discussion, is uh, I, I should have used this textbook probably for the class, but uh, uh, most anthropologists believe you never divorce yourself from your culture. I think psychologically you do. You reject it. And you turn away. I think this is what happened to uh, uh, Hunger for Memory in the book uh, that I, Richard Rodriguez's book. Uh, when you know, he says, uh, listen to this if I may, read it to you. I, it comes out of his book, uh, Making It in the Middle Class America. I grew up victim uh, to a disabling confusion. As I grew fluent in English, I no longer could speak Spanish with confidence. I continued to understand spoken Spanish, and in high school I learned how to read and write Spanish, but for many years I could not pronounce it. A powerful guilt blocked my spoken words. An essential glue was missing. Whenever I tried to connect words to form sentences, I would be unable to break a barrier of sound to speak freely. Psychologically, he was bound. I would speak or try to speak Spanish, and I would manage to utter halting, hiccuping sounds that betrayed my unease. When relatives and Spanish-speaking friends of my parents came to the house, my brother and sisters seemed uh, reticent to use Spanish, but at least they managed to say a few necessary words before being excused. I never managed so gracefully. I was cursed with guilt. Each time I hear myself addressed in Spanish, I would try to speak, but everything I said seemed to be horribly anglicized. My mouth would not form the words right. My jaw would tremble. After a phrase or two, I'd cough up a warm, uh, silvery sound and stop. It surprised my listeners to hear me. They'd lower their heads, better to grasp what I was trying to say. They would repeat their question in gentle, affectionate voice, but by then I would answer in English. No, no, they would say, we want you to speak to us in Spanish. But I couldn't do it. Psychologically, he was moving further and further away to the point where he removed himself completely. A lot of it had to do with his educational climb, this middle class kind of 
and he became, uh, got his master's degree and went on and so forth. I hear now that he's returned back into, and I'd like to read some of this further, but in some ways, psychologically, you divorce yourself from that. Let me try to, to give, uh, culture is changing, and so you've got to get a hold of, people don't realize that, that the Hispanic culture, the Asian culture here in the United States, and even in, in Korea, is changing. There are pieces that stay pretty much reinforced, but because of numbers of sociological issues, uh, things change. Culture never stays static, it's always changed. And um, we've got to kind of get a hold of that. I'd like to, uh, to just quickly, how much time do we have? 10 or 15 minutes? Okay. Let me just try to give you, when you come into a culture, you, uh, there's, there's an interesting thing that we, we've got to learn. Um, and that's what you're going to be doing in some ways. You will begin with this matter here, if you could see this is, um, you nearly see the first thing that comes to you is the behavior of the people and, uh, and what they're doing. Now, that is never enough um, because you've got to ask why the behavior, but you're not there yet. You're just seeing actions. You're seeing, let's say, a lot of young men at 3 in the afternoon in their late 20s that are standing on the corner. Uh, you're going to see uh, uh, maybe a lot of uh, young women that are walking down with carriages and baby, and, uh, and you're going to think, are they babysitting for someone else? You're coming to conclusions, and you're, but that's all you first see. But you're going cross-cultural. And the first thing that strikes you is, your, is the behavior of the people, the, what is being done. The question for me is be careful with your interpretation of that. Don't come to conclusions. You nearly need to jot down, this is what I, my observations. This is what I saw happening. Here's the games they were playing on the street. These are the things that they were doing. Um, it was interesting to bring some graduate students from Wheaton College to our school. And um, they came to a classroom, um, and this was, the chairs were very old. We, we, we have to get things from other schools or other places. And, and so the classroom had old chairs. Their conclusion on how things looked immediately was that uh, the school was not quality because of the furniture, etc. They came to conclusions along their own mindset. They were, they were middle-class young people. They were all white students. They were geared towards a value system of education is getting better, you're, you're developing, you're growing, and so forth, prosperity is ahead. And they came to the urban community and they saw that the furniture in the school was not, they immediately equated that with quality of education, came to conclusions, you see, uh, whether it's a good school or a poor school or whatever, just on the basis of observation. So that's the first thing normally we we come to do, don't come to conclusions on that, begin to say, the second question possibly is where you, what is done, uh, uh, you're going now to what is good or better, what is the value system, why are they making choices, why are they making certain kinds of choices? Choices usually reflect the cultural values of the people. What is good? What's beneficial? What's best? You know, why are you in school? 
why is why is school so important to you? Why are you at Westminster? Why did you make this choice? You know, I mean, a lot of folks would have to answer that. Why select a school like this? You know, uh, why go to school at all? Why not learn from your local pastor? Numbers of questions. Why did we make this choice? And I think that you'll find you're developing, you're looking at what is your value system. And here again, the, you, you're very careful with this, but this is a very important question about, um, about what choices you make. Um, I've seen working with missionaries in the first circle that um, and going in consultation with them to let's say Texas where they had to deal with the Mexican-American that was of a high uh, social economic versus the Indian that was there and they came to conclusions that were terrible they came to conclusions immediately about who was right and who was wrong uh, just on the basis of behavior. I was so offended by those actions that I had to deal with it in some ways with their superiors. Because they were trying to, all of a sudden, as missionaries and people, and, and most missionary executives today, multicultural, are white. You know, white is the only um, folks that are able to understand multi-ethnicity. So, they were making tremendous mistakes just on the basis of coming to conclusions on behavior, rather than taking time to understand why the choices, why did they make those decisions, why did they pick what they picked, and so forth. And so, here we have this matter of, um, this, the third area you have to come to is, in your, hopefully in your project, you're doing some of this, is what is your belief system? What is true? Underneath all of this, you have a belief system. You see, and so we're really getting to the core. What is true? How do you look at uh, um, some of these uh, uh, matters that you've chosen to do? Um, uh, so I think in order to understand the behavior, we've got to understand uh, what is the belief system that's underlying all of this. And the final one is this area here, what is real? What is your worldview? In this worldview, you're asking them really who they are. You're asking them um, how do they view their culture? Uh, where did you come from? I think you're, you're trying to discover, and here's where material like some of you are reading, blaming the victim and so forth, here's where you come back and you're looking at some of these choices that people are making. Um, we read a case study yesterday on a woman that uh, goes common law because uh, uh, the man that she's going to live with is um, going to provide for the extended family, not only her family, but the extended family, her mother and family, which is very important. So she makes a decision on moral issues and saying that I will go common law, but it will it will be okay because he'll be taking care of all these on economic basis they're making decisions now how do we perceive that immediately we can come to conclusions without understanding what is their what is real what is their worldview so you're going to deal with some of this uh, area and uh, and hopefully uh, try to write it up in your paper in a way that gives you, with limited amount of time, uh, at least some idea of what the conclusions are of the culture, 
uh, why they're behaving in such, in whatever manner. Um, let me give you this quickly, have you read it quickly as well, and then we'll close our time. It's a very kind of quick Let me, uh, let's follow together. Okay, we're going to look at scene one. Uh, and this is coming out of um, um, the book, Black and White uh, in Conflict. At the meeting between community representatives and university faculty, the remark of the white female faculty member who characterized the session as a Baptist revival meeting did not go unchallenged. Now, what, what do you think was going on if she categorized it this way? What was going on? She categorized this meeting that they were having in the community as a Baptist revival meeting. What do you think was going on? What goes on? I mean, if you haven't been in a black church, you, you need to get there. It's from, it's from other people in the audience. There was emotions. There were cliches. They were loud. There was laughter in response to what someone was saying. They might even be, even though none of them might be Christians, it might even be an amen. That happens very often. Anyway, let's go on. She stated this. A black male faculty member, a principal leader in the opposition to the proposed urban education program, angrily pointed a finger at her and said, Professor, you need to know something. You can't make me over into your image. Do you understand that? You can't make me over into your image. Then, upon seeing her frightened look, he softened his anger and said, You don't need to worry. I'm still talking. Now, that's a cliche. That's something that... The, that uh, comes in the, in the context of the Afro-American experience. When I stop talking, then you might need to worry. The professor was not re reassured. When the meeting was over, she accused a black faculty member of having threatened her. He was astonished by her accusation. His comment to me afterward, afterward was, all I did was talk to her. Now how can that be threatening? Any response to that? Uh, probably because the way that he, he talked, he's a attended one of black church. The way that the preacher preached is very different, mm -hmm. very dynamic, and, and the immediate response from the congregation as well. Uh, I had my eyes examined by a black optometrist in Chicago. And he, he's like up really close to me, you know. He's checking my eyes out and everything, and he's just about done. And he was done, and he was just sort of like, he was just, you know, this part for me, and he was finished, and he was, you know, energetic and everything. I'm like, I, I realized it was a cultural thing, but uh, he wasn't yelling at me, and he wasn't really even terribly excited about the fact that my lines were okay, and he's still there with my lenses. Got to commit, you know, but. Uh, it was a cultural thing, and, and, but I remember how shocked I was. I was not ready for this, this, this culture. See, the point he, he's trying to make is he's saying uh, he saw she was frightened, so he tries to kind of reassure her that everything's okay. And when he tries to reassure her, <laughs> yeah, he says, listen, when I start talking, then you might have to start worrying, you know. <laughs> and he, he's talking to her, trying to reassure her. I yeah. think the expression of that much emotion from him was like too threatening to her. She couldn't hear this just an expression of emotion. Mm -hmm. And then try to filter out what the content is. She just heard the emotion and immediately blocked it. 
everything else out. This will happen very, very often. How you read this is going to be crucial in in uh, in, in cross-cultural settings, and we often need to. For example, uh, they will expect me to be, and I am, uh, very emotional. Uh, it's difficult for me to preach in chapel because I'm used to the other part, so I've got to kind of contextualize, be like we are here. Sometimes, sometimes folks will ask me, you're too loud. Uh, and they attribute that to being that you have fear. Now, sometimes it's, that's partially true. But basically, I am, I am always loud. I don't need a microphone in most places when I'm preaching. Now, so they, they're nearly telling me how to be. And so I try because they don't understand that part. I am basically a very emotional person, and I enjoy a church... Now, they may attribute that saying, well, then you're charismatic, you're not Presbyterian. They made all of a sudden uh, uh, another conclusion on the basis of that. When I went to a church three weeks ago, to, uh, um, I played different in instruments. So here's our church meeting with another church. And I was playing percussion. I was playing the conga. And uh, all the flute. And, uh, but I love, I mean, it's, it's part of me, music. And, uh, and the monster, I told the church, you have permission today to be demonstrative. Mm -hmm. If you want to praise the Lord, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, again, that falls into other categories. So, <laughs> so I'm able to. If you want to praise the Lord, you can. Yeah. 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 But if you don't, you can, you can just. Well, I don't try to stifle the others that don't enjoy that, yeah. or they can't be that way. So, But I do, I, I'm very interesting enough, I find that. Charismatics are able, they don't have any cultural distinctions there. They all pretty much shout, um, whether they're white or, or not. Um, in this case, I just want, I think that there are things, people come to conclusions on the basis of this. Um, uh, another thing, the very opposite happened when, uh, when one of the professors from Central America came, um, Guillermo Cook. He's not Hispanic, but he's grown up and lived in the culture so many years. And he says, well, it's not like Manny. I had already come and I was quiet. Uh, most Hispanics, and Puerto Ricans especially, are, are very loud and very emotional, like Orlando Costa, who every class, he just walked up and down the aisle preaching nearly. But his notes and his overheads, everything was... But he preached his whole two-hour, and it was powerful, like commitment, and he was very, uh, very strong and very loud. That's the only way you know how to preach. He's, you know, his whole commitment to the subject. He can't sit uh, be, uh, behind a desk and just talk about the lectures. Couldn't possibly do it. So these all things. Now, what happens to us? We get categorized into certain, certain areas. Also, we're very strong on oral tradition. So you've got all this kind of. And people come to the behavior and they say, "Uh-huh." Conclusions. You say, "No." Let's look at this. Why is he? What's going on? So that's some of your responsibility. Look at the second scene uh, uh, at your own time and see again. Another miscommunication, but uh, I'll leave that to you to study.